We're good. Well, we're sort of good. Aha, uh -huh. now we're good. Picked out this song before because I figured tonight it would be Gray Skies. Looks pretty good out there, though. But it's a nice song. I like it. <clears throat> I'm going to sing all three verses. If the skies above you are gray, you are feeling so blue. If your cares and burdens seem gray, all the whole day through. There's a silver light that shines in the heavenly land. Look by faith and see it, my friend. Trust his promises, friend. Sing and be happy. Father, we thank you for this blessed day you've given to us. We know that there are trials and temptations that we have faced, Father, and I thank you, Father, for the guidance we have, for the example we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the word, Father, that if we allow it, that 
it can change our lives and, and make us more holy as you want us to be holy, Father. I pray, Father, that you would be with each one here and their families, that you would keep us safe. For those that need healing, Father, I pray that you would heal them. We pray, Father, that as we go through this time of, of learning, that we would allow the word to touch us, we would allow it to change us, strengthen us that we might go through this week, Father, not only personally being good servants, Father, but reaching out to help others to come to understand the great love, the joy, and the peace that we can have only through you and your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Help prepare our minds for the Lord's Supper. We're going to sing fairest, Lord Jesus. Shall we pray? Our God and our Father, thank you for this beautiful day that we have. Thank you for this t time that we have that we can reflect once again upon Christ, the, the sacrifice that, that you gave that, that can wash away our sins. We, we're so thankful for that. We're so thankful that it gives us an opportunity that we'll be able to see you someday. Father, we're, as we partake of this bread, we pray that, that you'll bless it and, and bless each one of us that partake of it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Shall we pray? Continuing in thanks, Father, we're thankful for the blood that was shed upon, shed upon the cross. For we know without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And we're thankful for the power that's in the blood that it's able to wash away our sins and continually 
refresh us so that we can draw closer to you. As we partake of this fruit of the vine also, we ask you to, to bless it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Father, we're thankful for all the blessings that you give to us in this life, both spiritual and physical. And at this time, we, we, we pray that as we give back a portion of, that, of those blessings, that, can, that it will continue to help the, the, the church here in Titusville to continue to grow. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. For Matt brings us our lesson, we'll sing Blessed Assurance. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a We're continuing our study on the uh, letters from Paul while he was in prison. And we are in Colossians chapter 3. And I want you to, to look at this uh, verse 1 and just be reminded if you have your Bibles and you're looking back in chapter 2, I think starting around verse 20, he kind of started with where he's continuing in chapter 3 verse 1. Uh, this idea of being, well, really by verse 3 is where he says uh, this idea of death, having died. So, let's get into it and um, see where it makes sense. If then you have been raised with Christ, seeking the things that are above, 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Again, like I said, if you look back in chapter 2, this is a concept that he was already building on coming in to chapter 3. You, if you have been raised with Christ, then we're supposed to be seeking things that are above. We're not consumed with the normal affairs of the world. We don't desire the normal things that the world is seeking. We are not on the same trajectory. Why? Because we're setting our minds on things above, not things that are on earth. Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Well, why? Does your life need to be hidden? Why does your life need to be hidden? Have you ever played hide and seek? We still play that every now and then in the church building. And um, so if you ever find anything that's broken, that was probably us. Um, every now and then a kid climbs on something he shouldn't or, and, and, and that happens. But. When you know something really well, you can hide in it even better, right? That's one of the tricks of the youth ministry is you learn the building, you get to understand it, you know the spots nobody else knows about, and you can hide and really impress the kids. Is that what this scripture is talking about, that type of hiding? Are you literally hiding in God? Are you, are you um, in a place where you're hoping nobody can find you? The truth is, yeah. Yeah. What are you hiding from? What are you hiding from? What has Christ hidden you from? Super important. Because it's the overall arching theme of, like I said, starting in verse uh, 20 in chapter 2, moving into chapter 3. What are you hiding from? You're hiding from the wrath of God. That's what you're hiding from. Listen, grace erases the wrath of God. Mercy, more specifically, erases the wrath of God. It doesn't because some people will see and experience the wrath of God. You know, a lot of times we don't talk about the other side, it's a lot easier to talk about the, the good side, the grace and the mercy. But there's something to be said about why we need to be hidden. You see, here's the problem with sin. The problem with sin is we all deal with it, and so the problem with sin is we all accept it, and the problem with sin is it doesn't become as big of a deal. When you've sinned your whole life, when you've sinned since you were a child, when you've struggled to follow God's will and you've been forgiven over and over and over again, we can become accustomed to sin. So it gets uncomfortable to talk about the wage of sin, right? It says it in one of my favorite scriptures. It says the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal. We like to focus on the gift of God. But there's a reality to the world. To us. To each one of us in this room. We have been hidden in Christ. Not because, not because we are good enough. Not because we are righteous enough. 
But because God's love is great enough that he loved us despite who we are. Despite our struggle, despite the fact that we tell him no, despite the fact that we constantly choose whatever we want to do versus what God has told us to do. That's why he's talking about a mindset. Look what he says, verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Is Christ your life? If you're hidden in him, is Christ your life? Is he your life? Do you live for him? Is that the point? Is that the goal in life? To bring glory to God. Christ, who is your life. So he continues with this idea. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So, again, I, when I read all this, right, and I look at this, especially, again, starting in uh, chapter 2 and moving ahead into this, I think about baptism. Romans 6, Paul uses this exact analogy of being buried and then raised. And he's talking about how we're partaking in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in our baptism. That's Romans 6. And when I read this, I can't help but see the similarity in it. So, if you've been raised with Christ, are you already baptized? All right. So then who is he talking about in verse 5? Did the, did the subject matter change? Did he switch who he's talking about? Verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ. Is that those of us who have been baptized into Christ? Is that those of us who are faithfully trying to follow Jesus Christ? I believe so. I don't think the subject has changed. So who's he talking to? When he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Is that metaphorically speaking before you're baptized or is that after? What's he say? He says sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Some of you were probably thinking and, and had not read ahead that maybe I was overemphasizing this idea of the wrath of God. But this is the overarching theme that we're dealing with. We're dealing with being spared from the wrath of God. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. When did you die? <laughs> Weird question, right? When did you die? When did you die to yourself? When were you baptized? When were you buried? When did you put off the old self and rise in the newness of life? When did you do that? Let me ask you another question. The day you came out of the water, did you conquer sin? These are trick questions, aren't they? Some of you see the game that I'm playing. 
When were you saved? See, it's not crazy to think that starting here, when he says, if you rise with Christ and then have you died, for you have died, right? To come here and say that we're still putting things to death. Even though I've been baptized, there's still things in my life that I have to put to death. So many times in my life, and I, I don't know about you, but I was raised going to church. I, since I was, my first memories of my weekly schedule involved church on Sundays. Church on Wednesday night. As far back as I can remember. But there's still things in my life that I'm trying to put to death. There's still things I am trying to conquer. There are things that maybe I never will. And maybe you're in that category too. Why am I bringing this up this way? Because sometimes we think we have to act like nothing's going on in our lives. Sometimes we think we have to keep it all together and not admit to our struggles. But Paul is not writing to people who are unbelievers in this moment. Paul is writing to the believer. In my opinion, he's writing to the baptized believer. When he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? That's not something that you conquer the day you decide to follow Jesus. That's something that I believe at least many of us, if not all of us, probably all of us, we'll be still trying to conquer the day that we go into the grave. That's why he says in verse 7, And these you two once walked when you were living in them. Now, he's not saying, look, this is really important. He's not saying that people need to just accept it. Just because grace can cover sin, just because love covers a multitude of sin, doesn't mean that we're supposed to just accept it in our lives. Just because our culture is constantly pushing these evil thoughts and these evil desires and these impurities into our face, doesn't mean we're just supposed to accept it. Then he says, but now you must put them all away. Again, who's he talking to? Who are the ones who once used to literally walk in them? See, sometimes I think we read this and we think that we're supposed to accomplish all of this at some point in our lives. And, and, and please hear me out. I am not up here talking about the wrath of God trying to justify sin. But the truth is we all struggle. The truth is at times we all have weaknesses. The truth is at times we have to put something to death in our life. So he says put them all away, even anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. You know what's interesting? Just about all that 
spews from the mouth if we're being honest. When you're angry, you're, very, very, you're, you're not likely to be quiet. When you have wrath, you're not likely to do that quietly either. When you're doing malice and slander or obscene talk, that's coming straight from your mouth. Do not lie. To another, to another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You see, what I love about this is he's telling you, he, first of all, he's saying everybody is equal. There is no partiality. He's going to end with that in Jesus Christ. But he's also talking about a group of people that come with very different challenges, very different baggage, very different struggles. They come from different cultures. They see things differently. And because of that, their experience has been different and they struggle in different ways. Is it just this list that Paul's worried about? Is it just this list? As long as you um, get rid of sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness, and idolatry, and then you do anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and lies. I mean, have you defeated sin? Are those, these, are those the only ones that matter? He's talking about people from different places, coming from different situations, and then we all come together. We're all unified in Christ. Even though in this room right now, we have very different experiences. Even though in this room right now, think about it like this, just personalities. We all know every, there's lots of different personalities. Just personalities, just the way you are made up in your personality is going to lead you to be tempted in different ways. So when we put on the new self, what are we doing? We're renewing in our knowledge, no longer after the world, but after the Creator. This is how you set your mind on things above, where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. You know, we are going through, and the reason why I'm coming at it from this angle is because right now in life we are going through a very difficult time. It's one of the only times I can remember, at least in my life, maybe some of you who are a little older can remember it another time in your life, maybe. I don't know. I've never heard of any time like this where you can literally turn on mainstream television and watch people vocally express their dissatisfaction for the church and the teachings of the Word of God. And all over Christ Christianity right now, all through the kingdom, all through the people who profess Jesus Christ, some churches are standing firm and some churches are blending in with the culture. There's an earthly premise. And there's a creator God. Which one are you going to follow? 
If I've died to myself, that earthly premise, it's gone. You can tell me things are natural and, and you can tell me if you look at creation, this is what you can see modeled. You can, you can make up every excuse in the book. I'm not looking at earth to make my decisions. I'm looking at the creator God. I've put off the old self. I don't measure things based on what the earth tells me. I measure things based on what the word of God tells me. And anybody can do this. It's not something that is exclusive. It's actually something that's extremely inclusive. That's what the bottom part's about. It doesn't really matter where you came from. It doesn't really matter what situation you live in. It doesn't really matter what language you speak or where regionally you are in the world. You can apply this word. Because it's not just a book written by a bunch of brilliant men. It's a book written by a perfect God who understands his creation perfectly. So verse 12 says, So put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You know, I can never look at holy the same way. Once you realize what true holiness means, it's, it's not because it's something that, it is something that is associated with God, but it's literally been set apart for God. You are that instrument. You are that holy instrument of God. Just the idea of being called holy means you are going to be set apart. It means you're getting rid of that earthly premise. You're not weighing things based on your culture. You're not weighing things based on what the world tells you. You're weighing things based on what the word of God tells you. And you make that choice. Why? 1 John chapter 4, because he loved you first. Because you're loved. So he says, put on compassionate hearts. What do you need compassion for? One, you need compassion for when your brother or your sister is struggling in sin and they need to talk to you about it. You know, that's one of the hardest things to do in life, isn't it? Tell somebody when you're struggling, who are you going to tell? What are they going to say? Who are they going to tell? It's a problem we all deal with. It's the reason why a lot of times we don't talk to people about what's really going on in our life. It's a struggle. But real people struggle. Real people have to repent every now and then. Real people have to get their life back on track every now and then. That's the reality of life. So you need to have compassionate hearts if you are God's cho chosen people and holy and set apart, beloved by God. Kindness. I feel like kindness is making a comeback, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not always 100% sure. I feel like sometimes polar opposites have to get so far away from each other and get so nasty towards each other before the middle starts to be kind again. Humility. 
humility is a lost art. How do you know when someone's humble? When they consider others greater than themselves. Meekness, gentleness. It's not just being compassionate, it's being gentle with someone. Being gentle with one another. Not always being the smartest person in the room, not always the person that has to have the right answer. Sometimes it's just listening, meekness. Just hearing what somebody else has to say. Patience. And I love how it follows it. It says bearing with one another. That means getting down in the struggle with someone. You ever bear with somebody? I was going to say something, but I decided it would be a really, just don't talk about the examples of bearing with people, right? And then it says, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. So this isn't just about people that are having struggles and helping each other pick each other up. This is about people having trouble with each other. And bearing with one another in love and forgiving each other and moving on into a better place in their relationship. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, that's exactly what he did. He took you from a place where you had no hope, a place where you were far off, and he restored you to an even greater place than you've ever had. So you also must forgive, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It goes back to exactly what we just talked about on Wednesday night in 1 Corinthians, right? You can do all these amazing things, but if you have not love... You're nothing. Love is what binds all this. Love is what makes you act accordingly, makes you do the right thing in the right situation at the right time. It's what brings it all together. I put these, these things that I've had in green. I, I probably should have explained this before, but it's too late now. This is kind of what Christ provided for you, right? And, and just, just to be clear, the blues, which you've probably already got by now, this is the things that everybody struggles with in one way or another at one time or another. And then the yellow is who we're supposed to be, not become. Let me say it that way. It's who we're supposed to become. It's the pursuit of life to become more and more like Christ every single day. So let me show you what Christ provides you. He says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, give, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So he gives you peace. He gives you peace. To rule in your hearts. He gives you a body of believers 
to get through this life with, to work with, to labor with, to bear with. And then he gives you the word. Not only was the word, but he gives you the word. Does it dwell in you richly? Is it something you've taken serious enough that when you think about life, you can think about Scripture? When you're trying to answer the hard questions, are you thinking about the Word of God in line with your thinking on your own? Is it part of who you are? Does it dwell in you richly? I didn't bold or color or any of the thing any of the other things I did on this scripture. One I want to point out. This is now the second of four letters that Paul wrote shortly before he died. And two of the four have this almost exact same passage in it. And it says, "Wives, submit to your husbands." as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And then verse 22, Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So we all have a place. We all have a role. We all have an expectation. And we all have a struggle that we're trying to overcome, that we're trying to put to death. Because we've died to ourselves and we've raised to Christ. And some of this, I mean, obviously, verse 22, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do want you to understand that there is a very different, there's a big difference between a lot of the slavery in the Bible and, and what you deal with in the conversations of slavery in our culture. Okay? In fact, if you really, want to, if you really wanted to break it down and get really technical with the times that the Bible talks about slavery, what they would call biblical slavery, you're... It's not really slavery at all. In fact, it's no different than you signing a contract for a year and then coming back for review the next year and you getting a certain amount of pay. And in fact, back in the day, your your master would have actually had more responsibility over you than than your boss does today. And I know some of you are looking at me crazy, and that's okay. But that's a tough place to be in. And he says even to them to not be people pleasers, to not give people eye service, but to serve with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And then he ends with this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ for the wrongdoer will, get, will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. He says, in everything that you do, 
How do you summarize everything up? In everything that you do, no matter what situation you find yourself in, no matter how hard your life might be at a time, no matter what your struggles are and the things that you're trying to overcome and put to death in your life, he says, keep working heartily. Keep working hard at whatever you're trying to accomplish and work as if you are working for the Lord. So have you put off the old self? Have you been washed in the blood? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you pursuing Him, the Word of God, right? John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Or are you struggling with earthly things? Are you being led in the confusion of the culture of the time? This is why I keep emphasizing that friendship with the world is enmity with God. I'm not emphasizing it because I came up with it. I'm emphasizing it because it's scripture. When we throw off the old self, we no longer think like the world. It's just not the way we think. It's not the way we see. It's not even the way we speak. Because we're pursuing God. And God thinks differently about the world. And God sees the world differently. And God speaks differently to the world. Have you put off the old self? Are you chasing the creator? Or are you still living in a world with an earthly premise? Because the more and more I've talked to Christians, the more and more I've found out that a lot of people who went to church for a really long time still live in a world that's heavily influenced by the culture of the time. Constantly trying to make excuses for the culture of the time. Where are you at? Are you living for Jesus or are you living for the world? Are you living for the next life or are you living to get everything you can out of this life? Where are you at? Have you died? Have you raised? And are you following Jesus Christ? Are your mind set on things above? Are you being distracted by the things of this world? Wherever you are tonight, if you have a need, you can respond to the invitation as together we stand and we sing.
Thank you, Matt. Appreciate each of you coming back tonight. I have a few reminders before we close. Our food pantry is open tomorrow. If you can help with that, they need lots of help. It'll be tomorrow afternoon. The senior adult group is going out for lunch on Thursday. If you'd like to go, please sign the list in the foyer. The bus will be leaving the building about 11 a.m. For the ladies of our congregation, your uh, Wednesday morning Bible class will resume on September 7th. Those classes are at 11 a.m. as well. Have an update on some of our sick. Dave Hill, a former member here, is in ICU. He has a brain bleed from a fall, and he will be having surgery on Tuesday. They have requested your prayers on his behalf. Marsha Ablin will be having knee surgery tomorrow. Please continue to pray for her. Uh, Calvin Nobles got some good news recently. He was able to discontinue his dialysis, and he's able to be here. Continue to pray for Calvin's continued improvement. Thank you. If you're able, please stand. And we'll sing this and then have our closing prayer. As Let's go to the Father in prayer. Father in heaven, holy is your name. Forgive us for our sins we may commit and forgive those who sin against us, Lord. We ask you, Father God, that each and every day this week that you would give us our daily bread and the substance that we need each and every day. Lord, when I think about what could help us to follow you more closely, as King David said, 
please give us not riches or poverty that we may not forget you. And so for those willing to ask you, Lord, that you not give us riches or poverty, but keep us somewhere in the middle so we'll continue to focus on you. We thank you, Lord, for this service, this great lesson that Matt brought to us. We thank you for your kindness and your mercy and compassion for us. Please help us have a good week in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.